I'm not talking about the Dave Ramsey budget, y'all. All right. I am talking about a, a monetary reflection of your priorities. Great experiences build great leaders. Great leaders build great teams. This is Building Great Sales Teams. All right, guys, welcome back to Building Great Sales Teams. And you know on this show, we talk about everything, sales teams, sales, mindset, your mission. But unfortunately, we got to talk about this and not enough entrepreneurs talk about it. We got to talk about financials, right? So our guest today is going to be none other than Mills Bender. She's the founder and CEO of Mills Knows Bills. Very catchy. She's a financial coach for those with an unstable income, a.k.a. she calls it Vin Henry. She's going to explain that to us to, to, to start out the show. But she started with $1.50 in her bank mm-hmm. account in fall of 2014, and now she's on track to retire with $7 million plus, and that's no real estate investments. So we're going to hear all about this. Mills, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, and I'm excited to be here. And might I say, Doug... If that ain't an entry video, I don't know what is. That is awesome. <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, you know, had some help some from some Apex members as well as those are all Ryan shots in his editing. So he does a fantastic job. That's my producer who is handling all the graphics for the show right now, as well awesome. as uh, editing and everything. So what is Vin Henry? Where did that come from? Sure. So VIN and Henry are two different acronyms that I put together. VIN stands for variable income. Henry stands for high earner, not rich yet. So I work with a lot of people who have a fluctuating or variable income who are making money and should, you know, by all intents and purposes, have enough to show for it, but very often don't have enough to show for the money earned. So business owners who are generating over 250K a year, but have no idea where their profit went, plain and simple. So you just described my last 14 years in business. <laughs> that tends to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, very early on, and <clears throat> this may be some of the people listening to this show as well. Um, I did seven figures my second year in business, you know, at 25 years old. That's so impressive. when when you look at the financial part, it's like I had no idea what the heck I was doing. So it must've been a couple of years later. And I just want to provide some context for what you're about to walk us through and how important it is. Okay. So a couple of years later, I ended up having to give away equity just Mm -hmm. to get a CFO because I couldn't afford them. And I had Mm -hmm. to share him with another business. So it was a fractional CFO. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, he just tore me apart. He just destroyed my business in terms of, you know, you are wasting hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on stupid mm-hmm. stuff that you can't explain to me why you need it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I'm a kid in a candy store. I don't know what you want me to tell you. You know what I mean? And I had this whole idea, this whole concept in my head that I was just like executing to the nth degree, which was I won't spend it on myself. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But I'll invest invest it back into the business. 
and investing yep. in it back into the business looked like steak dinners for my guys every night. It looked like Cowboys tickets, box seats. It looked like, you know, mm -hmm. Spurs season tickets. So I could always incentivize them, which mm -hmm. are all good, fun things. And they add to culture. But when the very next month you're struggling to make payroll or you're struggling to pay your Amex bill, yep. it's, at, at some point you got to be responsible, right? So, mm -hmm. and what was always tough for me, especially personally, was I didn't know what my income was going to be month to month. I had a minimum that I knew, you know, yeah. which was probably at the time 15 to 20K, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there would be some months where we'd have an extra 80 or 90K left over. And then I turn into the kid in the candy store again. And then the next month it'd be like, oh, no bonuses this month. AT&T yeah. was late with the payment, whatever the case and I'm struggling for cash. Yeah. So what are some of the things that entrepreneurs and specifically sales centric businesses or sales leaders can do to create a stable income? I'm getting so excited over here, Doug. I don't know if you can tell. Um, there are so many different things, but it really boils down to establishing a budget. And when I say the B word, I can't tell you how many times I see the light go out behind that person's eyes that I'm talking to and they cringe at the word budget because they think it means restriction. I'm not talking about the Dave Ramsey budget, y'all. All right. I am talking about a, a monetary reflection of your priorities, a spending plan that aligns with not just your personal goals, but your business goals as well. And so start out on the personal side. You said you had a baseline that you knew that you needed to pay yourself, but what all did that baseline include? Most often I find that my clients are forgetting to properly insure themselves on the personal side. They're struggling with debt payoff on the personal side because they're giving themselves a fluctuating income from their business. They have little to no savings and don't even get me started on the investment conversation retirement, non-retirement, or real estate. And so on the personal side, you need to establish that budget or spending plan of what you would like to pay yourself each month, all inclusive of that pie in the sky goal. Then you take that monthly amount and you embed it into your business budget. And that is all inclusive of your business debt pay down, savings, any reinvestment back into the business any incentives for your team, you get to include all of those items still. And I'm not telling you don't get them cowboy tickets. What I'm saying is within reason, let's give incentives based off of X percentage. And now what you've done for yourself is figured out what you need the business to generate each month to have not just the pie in the sky on the personal side, but also the business side. But here's where it gets really cool. Most of my clients are great at making money. They're great at what they do. They just have no idea what to do with it when it comes in. So translate that monthly dollar amount on the business side into units based off of what your business sells. If you sell coaching programs, how many coaching programs do you need to sell in order to hit that revenue amount? If your average closing ratio is 50%, how many conversations do you need to have? in order to hit that closed amount, in order to hit that revenue amount. 
you get to work backwards within your zone of genius, which is your sales team or whatever it is that your craft is. And then once you start bringing that money in, look at it on a weekly basis or monthly basis and start allocating those funds based off of the amounts that you've divvied up between each category. Then you're not just saying, well, I made an extra 80K. What do I do with it? You know exactly what to do with it because you took the time to create that plan. So at that point, it's taking that 80K and putting it against your percentage budgets and then mm -hmm. setting those up. I mean, don't you cut it off at some point and say, hey, you know, maybe part of the percentage goes to a, a nest egg, a 90 day fallback mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. Do you just cut it off at some point and just put the rest in that, that fallback? Or how do you know when to like stop putting towards that percentage budget? So one of two things typically happens. Um, once you get to your emergency fund goal or your nest egg goal on the business side, stop contributing to it. Fill the other buckets more. Mm -hmm. If your baseline goal in your business each month is 100K, but you made 120K in one month, all of that 20K should go to that nest egg until it's fully funded. So you, you abide by the percentages up to a certain point. And those accounts that you are supposed to separate money for, like taxes, emergency fund, reinvesting back into the business, maybe your own profit distribution for yourself, those should be separate accounts, preferably high yield savings accounts, where you're divvying up those percentages each month. And so when there's a month where you make less than that 100K, you can pull from that emergency fund to make yourself whole. The whole idea of this plan is to use your business as a buffer for the variability on the personal side. You want to give your, yourself a fixed pay and let the business handle the fluctuation as much as you possibly can. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. And, you know, I, I like the multiple account strategy because, and this is just me, you know, being a visionary and a, and a mm -hmm. high operating integrator, right? Mm -hmm. I just see an amount in the account and it's the only mm -hmm. account I have. And I'm like, oh, we're good. You know, yes. <laughs> forget that the Amex bill still has to come out. Forget that, you know, rents are due in a couple of weeks and all. I can't, I can have an idea and that's kind of what mm -hmm. I operated on, but mm -hmm. it's, it's a whole different thing. If you're, if you're allocating percentage wise to, to multiple accounts and the mm -hmm. account with extra in it is, is, a lot smaller because you know you've already got these other expenses coming up in those different accounts. So I think that's a great you, strategy. I so mean, and you can get as nitty gritty as you want with it too. If you want to have an account specifically for your Amex payoff and you just look week over week what you charged, you can send that money from your checking account to your Amex savings mm -hmm. that you're setting aside. And then by the time that statement comes due, you should have the full amount to pay that statement. And it doesn't feel like, 100k hit it might feel like a 20k a week hit yeah it's something that definitely the past five years i've been struggling with because what i would rather have is just an account only one account that i had access to and then mm -hmm. and then my cfo puts the money in that account it's like hey this is what you got to operate with and i can't yeah. see anything else yeah <laughs> yep. and it's the most childlike version of a financial plan but you know, there's but a reason works. I'm good in other areas and not the financial area, you know? <laughs> That's fair. 
okay, so we do get a bunch of extra money, right? Mm-hmm. Can you invest as your business or do you always have to like distribute that to your personal and then make your investments? How does that work? It depends on how you have your business structured. So for example, one of my clients, he does impact windows and doors, mm-hmm. but he needs a warehouse for that company. So he has one company that does the service install for these windows and doors, but he has another company that owns the warehouse that that company sits in. So yeah, you can have different layers. And if at any point he wanted to sell the impact windows and doors portion, he still gets to keep the warehouse. And if the new buyer of that company still stays there and pays rent, he's still making rental income. And it's going through this LLC, paying himself a distribution from that LLC, and it attaches to his Form 1040 as a Schedule E. So you don't have to do all your investments on the personal side. In fact, as business owners, most of us are putting a lot of our retirement strategy on the sale of our business itself. And so when it comes to looking at where your greatest return on investment is, are you going to get more on investing back into the business and acquiring new customers? Do you have a 30% ROI there versus your Roth IRA where you have a 10% rate of return? And so I'm not saying don't ever invest in a Roth IRA. Spread your money across multiple buckets of sorts. You know, Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But keep that idea in mind where it might not be in your best interest to put all of your money in a 401k. It might be in your best interest to increase the value of your business, work with an excellent business broker, sell that business and make millions of dollars that way. Mm -hmm. So reinvestments, it, it can look very different. It can look like tangible assets. It can look like growing your business. It can look like intangible assets like learning a new skill set, patenting something, whatever it may be, but make sure you have that long-term vision in mind. Okay. The real estate piece definitely makes sense because you can almost create an entity for every building or every house that you buy. Right. Mm -hmm. So what about, you know, we're, we're in a couple of masterminds together and in those groups, there's a lot of investment opportunities that are non-traditional, right? And so let's just say I want to participate in like a syndication or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, is there a reasoning to take that money out of the business, create another entity and then invest it? Or can you just invest it straight from the business operating account? Well, let's talk about let's talk about just like some of the extra fluff that a lot of my mm-hmm. clients will come across. So, Doug, let's say you set aside 30 percent of your distributions to yourself throughout the year into a separate taxes account. But when your tax bill comes due, you only really need half of that money. The other half Sounds of that good. money, that, like my that's kind of the point. <laughs> right? right, that's the point. So then the question is, what do I do with that other half of the money in that account? Mm-hmm. In my mind, that's the perfect opportunity for you to place it in an investment because it's money you already were not counting on. Okay. The, the definition of being rich or wealthy is when your passive income streams are covering your mandatory living expenses. So if you can repurpose as much of your money into passive income streams as possible, do it. 
especially if you weren't planning on pocketing that cash to spend right now anyway. And so to go back to answering your question, is there a reason why, you know, you would or would not do that? Look at, well, what's the return on investment? How solid of an investment is it? Is it credit worthy? Right? Sometimes in those private lending areas that it could, it might be somebody who doesn't know what they're doing with the money. Right. Right. You have to vet the person managing it too. Seems to so be the case 80% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of scary, right? Yeah. So yeah. look at the return on investment, look at the credit worthiness of the person that's running it, and then ask yourself, is there any investment out there that would be better for my risk tolerance and my investment needs? Because it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, I was talking yesterday with a friend of mine who was like, I feel like I need to be in real estate. I feel like I need to be in real estate. Maybe. But having one investment property, in my opinion, is a hell of a lot more of a headache than having multiple investment properties. And making the jump from zero to multiple is a big jump. Right. Because it takes a lot of time and energy to maintain just a handful rather than a plethora. Once you have a plethora, you can hire a pro- you know, property management yeah. team. Yeah, the margins. The, the margins are much better. So what do you do in that interim? Well, you can invest in other real estate assets. You don't need a tangible property. You can do a REIT. You can do a private funding, like we talked about, as long as the person is credit worthy. Mm-hmm. You can invest in stocks of companies that do real estate, like Berkshire Hathaway. And you can build up a nest egg, which then allows you to purchase multiple doors all at once. Right? Really, my threshold... It's like eight doors. If I can afford eight doors or more, it's worth my effort. If not, it's not worth my effort right now because I'm running a business. I'm investing in other areas. And so when it comes to your investment strategy, when it does or does not make sense is don't get caught up in the fads. See what makes makes sense for you, not just with your money, but with your time. No, that makes a ton of sense. So you know, one of the things that you're on track to do is retire with a portfolio of 7 million. That's right now. It's definitely mm-hmm. going to go up when you actually retire, right? Mm-hmm. But you've done that with no real estate investments. That's kind of unheard of in, mm-hmm. in our spaces for sure. It's usually typically a lot of that is real estate. Mm-hmm. So what are you investing in? What are you excited about? And And how were you able to pull that off? I mean, I think that's the big question here. <laughs> So I got started investing at 21 okay. and I'm 27 now. My husband and I also got married when I, you know, I was 21. So we've been married for about six years now. And so although it wasn't intentional, the fact that we got married so young allowed us to do more with our finances in comparison to some of our peers. So we didn't have two different rents. We had one rent. We also found an apartment that was really small and really inexpensive when we first got married. But that first year of marriage, we did everything in our power to pay down all of our bad debt. So credit cards, personal loans, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we started investing what we could. And so over the last six years, we have contributed probably about 150 grand of our own money into retirement and non-retirement 
investment accounts. Mm -hmm. My husband works in corporate America, so his company does provide a match. So we have about, I want to say just under a quarter of a million in just those types of investments. Mm -hmm. So you do the math. That's a, that's almost a hundred K in match because we right. took advantage right. of free money. And if we were to let that sit for the next 40 years or so, we'll have over 7 million if we never commit another dime. And which is obviously are going to, we are, we are, yeah. we do in his 401k, we do the bare minimum to get the maximum contribution. Right. Right. Then we also contribute to our own Roth IRAs. And then I have my own, what I call theory or play account with my okay. investment. And I started that about six years ago as well. It's definitely not where we have the bulk of our money. There's right. probably 20 K in there. And so there's like a higher risk like, tolerance there. It's a lot higher of a risk tolerance, but also a lot higher of a reward. I've right. averaged right. over the last six years, about 50% rate of return, mostly Damn. due to stock splits and, okay. you know, buying at the right time, but I've not really sold much in that account. I buy and I hold. Now, when I do my projections of what we'll have in retirement, I'm not estimating 50% rate of return year over year. <laughs> I'm estimating about 10% because for us, that's more conservative given what we do get in our Roth IRAs and the 401k. I think out of all of our accounts, our lowest year over year average is like 11%. It's fantastic. Because I'm it's really good. I'm involved in uh, two syndications right now that one of them is doing 13%. And of course I have the least money in that one. And the other one is doing eight to 11%, you know, mm -hmm. so you guys are on top of that just through your traditional, traditional mm -hmm. methods. Okay. So it's stocks, it's retirement accounts, different versions of that plus company matching. Is there anything mm -hmm. else in there that you're kind of playing in that you're excited about right now? So a few family members and I are getting together to purchase, not purchase, but build a mini bed and breakfast of sorts that we're going to Airbnb. And so okay. each family is going to put in somewhere between 25 to 50 K depending on how grand we're going to make this property. And that's going to have at least eight doors. And with that, with the revenue that we are going to get in this area in Florida along the beach, we can hire a property management company, get the margins we need. And so we're excited to diversify that way. That's definitely down the pipeline a little bit more. But mm -hmm. in terms of where I'm putting my focus, it's stocks, this future property, and then growing my business in a way where 10 years from now, I can sell it for millions of dollars and use that to start the next thing. Okay. So I'm curious about that piece. Right. You're, okay. you're setting up your business to sell. Uh -huh. um, your name is in the business. Yeah. So obviously you're going to have to find a way to transfer that authority, not necessarily to another person, but to stand alone. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how, what are some of the ways that you're doing that right now? Oh, I've made a lot of mistakes with that along the way, but <laughs> I have started, I've started my verbiage change over the last year or so. I don't say you know, I'm excited to welcome you. It's more, we are excited to welcome you. Yep. I make sure that some of the other members on my team start showing face a little bit more. 
We sign our emails when it's from the team as Mills knows Bills, not just Mills. Also verbally, we've picked up a lot, a little bit more steam on calling ourselves MKB lately as well. And so I have this idea that when I do sell the business, especially if it's only 10 years from now, I'll probably stay on board with the company for a little bit, but I don't foresee it being like that forever because I've created so much content already, kind of like Dave Ramsey, right? People know Dave Ramsey more than they know Financial Peace University, but he's done a great job of empowering other people to implement the content, whether it has, has, it has his face or not. And so that's kind of the trajectory I would like to take, whether it has my face or not, you know, there are other people empowered to help implement it. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I don't see any reason you can't transition to that. And probably a lot faster than you think, you know, because once you provide somebody a service and it's consistent and the Mm -hmm. less you're involved and the Mm -hmm. more consistent that service is, that transition is going to happen naturally, you know, because that's what people buying a business want to see. They want to see that the customers, they're buying the customers, they're going to stick around Mm -hmm. Plus they're buying a brand that can be scaled, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's, you know, looking at the back end, I know you and I met talking about my coaching services, but something that's gained a lot of popularity this year is actually my fractional CFO services, which is a lot more scalable than coaching I'm finding. Mm -hmm. So if that's the route that I do decide to pursue Theoretically, by this time next year, I should only be handling a couple accounts and have other people manage the accounts with clients directly, which will start taking me out of that technician role and helping me stay in that business ownership role. Uh, that makes a ton of sense. It's weird because it's it's opposite for me. You know, the one-on-one <laughs> consulting is incredibly yeah. scalable and I can delegate that versus my fractional mm-hmm. CSO that's just like getting on a call and solving problems, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's no, there's no deliverables to it other than the call. And then my team's time for any document adjustments, sales program adjustments yeah. and that. And so well, think of it this way. If I'm coaching somebody, it's because they need a little bit more of the emotional handholding than somebody yeah. who's hired me as a fractional CFO. Yeah, and if you require sense. more of that emotional support, if I'm the one who has built that rapport with you, you want me to be the person that's holding your hand. And so scaling that part has been incredibly difficult for me. I've tried it a lot of different ways and I found one unicorn, but it's still not as fast as I want. Whereas CFO, those individuals are really data driven. They just want to know that somebody knows what they're talking about. Very rarely do they need that emotional support finance guru. Absolutely. So, you know, I would imagine we have a lot of listeners that are in their first few years in business and you've given them a lot of great steps. What's the first one in your mind? Work on your money. They need to go do today. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's okay. That's okay. There's, there's really two things. Number one, you need to work on your money mindset. And I'm not talking about, you know, you need to get into the woo of anything. It's really, what money lies am I telling myself and how am I self-sabotaging my growth? If you can really get honest with yourself in that, it helps you cut out a lot of the BS that you're telling yourself, keeping you 
from reaching your version of financial success. And that's not a one and done deal. That's something that you're going to keep working on throughout the rest of your life. But start that today. Start getting in tune with your financial emotions because money is emotional, but you don't need to react off of it. Then the second piece is start creating those budgets, both personal and business. And I don't mean create a budget based off of what you are paying yourself or create a budget based off of what your revenue is. Look at what you want your revenue and pay to be. Mm-hmm. Then take a look at what you have been earning and figure out what you need to do to bridge the gap. Yeah. Remember, a, a budget's not supposed to be restrictive. It's supposed to be the tool that you use to be solutions oriented. Because it might be the difference of two more sales a month for you. Yeah. Right? So if you're two sales a month from your dream life, what are you doing? Go out there and do it. But you don't know unless you sit down and write it down. I love that concept too, because it's pretty rare in the financial space where, you know, most of the time you talk to anybody that does books, that does is a CPA, mm-hmm. bookkeeping. It's like, it's like personal training, like fitness space. Yes. You want to yep. avoid the conversation. You want to avoid them. Yep. <laughs> you want to avoid every time yeah. you swipe your card, them seeing it. You know, especially if it's for a steak dinner on the fitness side, you know what I mean? And so, but I I love what you said though, because to me, that's, that's going right in line with an entrepreneur's abundance mindset, which is, is Mm -hmm. it's not about what you're paying yourself currently and the limited and limiting your expenses. It's about reverse engineering how you want to live and then creating an action plan to go get those sales or go get that business. So you can live Mm -hmm. that way. You know, mm-hmm. which I love because that's a that's a huge abundance mindset piece. It absolutely really, goes back to the money mindset piece. So you said something earlier that I wanna I want you to elaborate on a little bit. You okay. know, what lies are you telling yourself? Okay. And so you've obviously got experience with this because you had a lot of yeah. conviction when you said that. So yeah, what lies do you find your clients tell themselves that get them in trouble a lot? Ooh. Um, I'm not smart enough. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Another one is if I make this amount of money, I will be considered rich. And if I'm considered rich, I'll be considered greedy. It's a a a big one, deep one to unpack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That one's one of my favorites. Let's see. Um, I don't deserve charging that amount for my services. I'd say 90% of my clients are undervaluing their services. In that previous example, Doug, where I said it might be the difference of two sales a month, what if you just keep the same clients but increase each one by 10%? Grocery stores have increased their pricing based off inflation. Have you increased your yeah. pricing based off of inflation? Chances are the answer is no. You might, you might not need to bring on any new clients. You just might need to charge more for what you're worth. And so- yeah you know, additional money lies is like, I'm not worth that amount of money. I beg to differ. I think people will value you more if you charge more. That's my experience. Are you talking to me or just all of our yes. listeners? I feel like you're talking to me right now. Cause I have, I have not increased my prices in over a year now. And yeah, you're hundred percent right. Everything's gone up like 50%. You were talking about getting 50% year over year returns. I'm like, 
Yeah. Well, that's like inflation this year. So <laughs> yes, yes. But it's, it's true, Doug, if you have yeah. 10 clients and you increase each person by 10%, I would put money on the fact that you would lose maybe one person or no people. But if you lost you that one person, open it up for a 10% increase. Yeah. Yeah. Or you keep the same nine and you're making the same amount of money as you were before doing 90% of the amount of work for a hundred percent of the revenue. Then you get to bring on somebody else. You guys heard it from mills first, increase your prices 10% right now across the board, (laughs) but also fire that client that pisses you off. Yeah. The one who takes 90% of your mental bandwidth, who's not doing the work and you feel like, well, I can't fire them because I need their revenue. That's the biggest load of, you know, what, That's another money lie we tell ourselves. I can't afford not to have them. That's not true. I've seen it time and time again, not just in my own business, but with my other clients. When they finally let that person go, it opens up time, space, mental bandwidth for them to bring on normally not one, but even two people who will pay them what they're worth, who take up between the two of them half the amount of time And it fosters a much better relationship. So the four most common money lies are, you know, what I just said, increase your pricing, cancel that client or cancel that. Don't cancel them. Fire them. (laughs) There's a difference. (laughs) Um, How you like, if you view being rich as a bad thing. And then I Mm. forgot the first thing I said. Uh, I think today. Yeah, it was, uh, undercharging, not, not valuing your worth, essentially. Not valuing your worth. Yeah. I think there was another one, but it's all right. You guys can rewind the podcast. Episode. <laughs> so I guess, where can the listeners find more information like this? You have uh, a mini course available, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you want uh, just a mini course to get you started on not just money mindset, but also budgeting, that's a great place for you to begin your journey for free. I'm pretty active on Instagram at Mills Knows Bills. You can reach out to me there. But if you're ever in a situation where you have questions and you feel like you don't know where to begin, slide in my DMs on Instagram. I manage my messages myself. I'm happy to get in there and answer anything that you have. Yeah. And I can tell you guys personally, just from our connection call, she brings a ton of value. So reach out to her and don't, don't feel like you're going to get slapped with a $2,000 bill afterwards. Cause <laughs> that's, that's what she does. She gives value to the point where you're like, okay, all right, Mills, I got to hire you now. So, <laughs> well, sometimes people get the, you know, the advice that they need and like, all right, I don't need it. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah, ni- 90% okay. of my conversations happen like that. A hundred percent. But the 10% are so worth it because they're rooted in value, you know? Exactly. And those 90% still remember you and they'll refer other people your way. 100%. Fantastic. Well, what do you have going on in your business right now that you're excited about? You've mentioned some pivot points that you've made. Um, Mm -hmm. Anything else that you want to tell us about? Mm. I actually just met with my 
I call her my marketing chick. She calls herself my marketing chick uh, <laughs> this morning. And we are completely revamping our marketing for 2024. And so we have a new podcast series that's going to be launching where we're going to invite guests onto our show and they're going to ask their pressing financial questions and we'll answer them and coach them for free live on the podcast. So we're going to drop a mini season slash series on that. And then we're reworking some of our reels and content days. I already have like 10 speaking engagements booked for Q1. So that's really cool. That's badass. So lots of lots of fun things coming down the pipeline. Yeah, it sounds like you guys are about to explode over there, especially with just the marketing alone. Yeah, we have been. October was one of our highest grossing months for the year. So we'll kind of running your own formulas and your experience and everything you're getting Mm -hmm. ready to take some time off right i am i am i'm actually closing my books for one-on-one coaching in a week so people will either have to wait until june 1st to work with me or they can work with brett one of my other coaches in between that time frame um but i only have like one or two spots left so if it gets filled great if not no skin off my back. And then I'm going on maternity leave from February 26th to June 1st. So I'm excited wow. about that too. That's fantastic. That you're able to do. Yeah. That you're able to do that. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Did you say, I mean, let's, let's be honest, Doug, I'm a little bit of a workaholic. I love what I do. <laughs> so like my version of maternity leave is like, while I'm breastfeeding baby, I'll be sitting yeah. at my computer doing some backend stuff, yeah. but I'm not mark Like I'm not going to any networking meetings. I'm not doing any speaking engagements and, you know, Well, I love it. Cause you're in complete control of your schedule, you know? Yeah. And most yeah. of us, myself included, can't do that right now because of our, our financial situation, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a testament to your service and what you do. Yes. Um, and also, you know, that that just got rid of everybody in their head listening, saying, oh, well, she doesn't have kids yet. That's why they were able to put together that, you know, no, no, no. financial no, I strategy. Yeah. Oh, I have a one-year-old so and I'm 22 weeks pregnant. It's, it's very <laughs> You're it's right very in real. the middle of it. I, I am. <laughs> Absolutely. So mine are nine. 11 and 13 we're we're in birthday season for a couple of months so it's going to be very confusing to say all their ages but um (laughs) i i can tell you it's my favorite season because they can take Mm -hmm. care of themselves they do everything themselves and you get to just do the fun stuff you know what i mean i love it yeah minus the attitudes if i can get rid of the attitude that would be fantastic but you know that's part of parenting i feel like baby's already giving me attitudes from the (laughs) feel like her her little sassiness is coming through to me and i'm like all right you got to take a chill pill mills to calm down calm down <laughs> As, there you go i'm blaming it on the baby it's the baby's fault not me <laughs> the extra estrogen doug it's i don't just wake up and choose violence sometimes I see <laughs> I, and i'll be the ownership of that <laughs> i love it i love it so much okay so speaking of our kids and doing yeah. our best to curb their attitude so they can do well in life. Um, sure. What does legacy mean to you? And what legacy do you want to leave behind? Hmm. So legacy to me means being able to be there for 
my children for all of the important moments of their life, being able to support them, not just financially, but mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And so I do my absolute best to work my calendar around my son's schedule so I can spend as much time with him as possible. And when I do work, I make sure I have an excellent nanny who can do what I can't during those hours. But of course, as the financial coach, we think of things like generational wealth. And so one of the things that we've done for our son, and we also plan on doing for our daughter, is setting them up to retire as millionaires without ever contributing a dime of their own money. So if you're trying to do the math on that, that's about $6,000 around the time that they're born. And you let that sit for 65 years at 10% rate of return year over year. So we did that for our son. We're going to do that for our daughter as well. And make sure that we instill within them a proper money mindset and proper money habits to help them be successful on their own. Man, it's amazing. I mean, next to maybe faith, you know, yeah, that's one of the most important things that you can leave for mm-hmm. your kids mm-hmm. is financial literacy, a financial exactly. legacy. I mean, geez, if I had it even 10% of what you're talking about imparted on me, I'd be in such better shape right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I appreciate you. I love that answer. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Awesome. Let's get building y'all. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Great Sales Teams. We sure do appreciate it. As always, be sure to like, share, and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. Don't forget to join our Facebook group, Building Great Sales Teams, so you can get daily tips on how to get your sales team built brick by brick. We'll see you there.